is a fine line, isn't there, between revealing your own hardships and um, so that they can make the world better, <laughs> flinging. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like it's it's what do you, what is it in service of? If you're in service of a bigger thing, a, like yeah, versus your own ego. Like, are yeah. you seeking validation or are you seeking to yeah. like yeah. be vulnerable so people can better understand themselves? Yeah. What is going down and what is up, my good friends out there in the coming up next work? What the F is happening in your world this week? I'm very excited to be bringing you a new idea. Everywhere around the world, there are, of course, people in the public eye who are doing amazing things. And there are also people who are doing amazing things a little bit off the radar So this week, I would like to present to all of you, my friends, if you will have this radical idea, a couple of interviews with what I like to call Cunderground Creatives. My very first guest is a rising paradigm shaker in the creative industries. She is a key collaborator for the website Give It Mouth, which is giveitmouth.com. I won't tell you too much about it. I'll let my guest do all the talking in the uh, proceeding interview. Please give a very warm coming up next welcome to Naomi Stecklenberg of GiveItMouth.com. And before we jump into the interviews, don't forget, find coming up next on iTunes. Hit subscribe. You can also subscribe via Podbean and Stitcher. And you know what? If you love it, give us a five-star review. And if you don't love it, well... I guess just keep downloading the episodes every week individually. That's also a really great option. And you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash cunpodcast, and in the Twitterverse at cunpodcast. Send me a tweet and we'll have a ramble over the interwebs. But for now, I pass you over to myself as I interview Naomi Stecklenberg to hear about the amazing things happening at Give It Mouth. I'm always reluctant to write first person kind of because you know my background's science, so right. And, and the academy doesn't really encourage first person exploration so much, although it's starting to. So it's always a really uncomfortable space for me to write in, mm. and especially the mainstream kind of you know subjective revelation stuff. I'm not really that comfortable with it, but. Um, you know, it's probably what readers want, so. Yeah, sure. Well, I have a little writer's crush on you, so <laughs> it probably helps when you send me things. What have you read? Uh, just things that are around on your, on Give It Mouth and. Um, oh, okay. Of course. <laughs> things on Google. But not my, um. have you read any of my academic stuff? No. Right, okay. No. But how do, how do you flip or oscillate between science and erotica? Yeah, it's really tough, huh? I don't know. I don't think I have like a um, strategy for it. I just have to do it because I'm so um, um, I'm so interested in so many things. I can't just stick with one thing. So, um, as I was writing my PhD, actually, this is a funny story. I was writing a traditional, um, you know, literary analysis of Sard's work. And I was writing it from um, 
an evolutionary perspective, which was already kind of pushing boundaries a little bit using science to understand literature. Mm. And it got to the point about three quarters of the way through, which most PhDs do, which is kind of that make or break moment where you've put in so much work, but you you think it's um, you think what you're writing is um, is not worthwhile. It's not making a contribution. There are so many faults in the analysis and stuff like that. Because you're at that point where you're at the peak of your scholarly um, fitness, I guess. So you can see everything that's wrong with it. Mm. And I actually flipped the entire PhD and took a totally different tack three quarters of the way through and started writing fictocriticism, which is actually the use of the subjective in um, critical analysis. Yeah, right. Which in lay terms is kind of like using your own experiences to um, analyse something. Right. Which is flip, but it, it paid off, so good. <laughs> it paid off. It was a weird PhD. And, and, and seriously, because of that big, like, punt that I took, it was kind of like they're either going to hate this and I'm not even going to, I'm going to be one of the, you know, the 2% who just, they say, no way, this isn't even close to what we want. Mm. Or they're going to absolutely love it and think it's brilliant. And fortunately, it was the latter. But I really did take a punt and I didn't know if it was going to pay off. Yeah, right. And is that something that you've done sort of throughout your journey as a creative yeah i'm i'm prepared to kind of go all or nothing Mm. why wouldn't you that's what i'm doing now right i'm going all or nothing Mm. that's what this is i can go and get a corporate job in like tomorrow but um that would be all in the other direction and i'm not sure i want that i'm not sure in the long term that that's going to be um, that's going to make me a better person. So I'm willing to take a punt here too. Mm. And here being with Give It Mouth. Yeah, with Give It Mouth and doing my own thing outside of the institution. Mm. So what was the um, what was the inspiration for starting Give It Mouth? It was basically the the anger I felt about, see, I'm a Libran. I don't know if you believe in star signs. I don't believe in them either because I'm meant to be a scientist. You assume that I don't. I'm meant to be clever. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you do or if you don't. And it's just the one stupid thing I happen to go by, Mm. I think. Anyway, I'm a Libran, so that means that I get really, apparently, it means that I get really angry about injustice I just think it's really unfair that most of my mates are working really hard. Mm. Clever people, they're so talented, and yet most of them are having a really hard time uh, just surviving economically. And, you know, it's a sacrifice that they say they're willing to make and they joke about and they go, ha-ha, we've got no money because we're artists. And it's like, no, that's not funny actually because everyone else has got money out of your art. Mm. <laughs> so if no one was making money, okay, cool. But there are a lot of big corporations that are making money from what you do. So 
what's wrong with just asking for some of it? Mm. And to me, that indicates a, a power imbalance, which I don't like mm. and which no one talks about because as soon as as creators and artists we talk about wanting money or expecting it, then suddenly we're kind of diminishing our work somehow. And I don't think it has always been that case um, and it doesn't have to be. What's the, um, what's the alternative that, as you see it? The alternative is we keep being slaves for big corporations who are take, taking the piss out of us or we band together and we say no and we get a little business savvy and we get a little knowledge about how the, um, the business world works and we use that to our own advantages. And we keep control of our work, you know, on a um, on a legal level. We own it. We don't give it away, and um, we use it to um, provide for us. Just like a psychologist uses their work to provide for them, or you know, just name it. We seem to be the only ones who are prepared to give it up for nothing. Yeah. And I think ego plays a really big role in this too, you know, for especially for most of most of my writer mates aren't gonna to be too happy to hear this, but um you know, when you announce on Facebook that you've gotten a publishing deal and everyone congratulates you and it's kind of like a validation of your work. But actually what you've done is for the past five, six even more, how how long does it take to write a novel, really? Because you're you're pumping into it so much of your life experience and you know your um, formal knowledge and that kind of thing. Um, you're essentially saying, "Yay, someone's taken up my work for almost nothing, and they're going to put it in print for me and distribute it." And it's like, "Wow, <laughs> is that something we should be celebrating?" Mm. Or should we be celebrating the fact that we made this work, we don't need external validation for it, we're actually going to put it to the market and see if we can change the world with it and make, make the world different somehow with it or even, you know, pr- provide it for the enjoyment of um, the mainstream um, mainstream readers. I don't know, there could be a whole bunch of motivations, but mm. why does that external validation have to lead us as artists? I don't think it does. No, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about what what's the purpose and uh, to what end are you creating? Yeah, and is it ego? And if it is ego, tell ego to shut up <laughs> and do your own stuff. And we've got the internet. Far out, we can make our own our own books and we can distribute them. Mm. How exciting is that? You can write whatever you want. That's and right. To the market and I say can write whatever I want. This is this is my stuff, mm. and you can write stuff that you don't, you know, you're not necessarily passionate about, but other people are. Like I, I find with a lot of my stuff that the um the things that I write that I'm not that passionate about, and I think oh those ideas are kind of, you know, they're not really that thrilling, and I'm not really into it. But I'm going to write this because I think it's useful. And everyone's like, that's a great article. I love that stuff, and. Then I write something that I really love because I'm a bit weird and hardly anyone acknowledges it. Not weird, limited edition. <laughs> limited edition, whatever. <laughs> and and um, 
you know, it doesn't get that same feedback, but I don't really care. Mm. Like you can experiment, you can muck around with stuff and maybe just maybe you can find something that sits in between that you're passionate about um, and that everyone else, you know, seems to enjoy too and wouldn't that be great? That would be great. Mm. But, you know, if you stick to traditional publishing, you've got no hope of doing that because you're always just, you know, wanting to produce what will get published. Tell me a little bit about your your history as a, as a writer. Um, is this something that you've been doing all your life? Yeah, this is something that I've always done. I've worked in the academy for the last 20 years um, writing stuff. So the bulk of it has been nonfiction. The bulk of it has been academic stuff. Mm. But I've always written for my own pleasure um, fiction. And then you know, about 10 years ago, and I've always been fascinated by sex. So that even as a psychologist, that was kind of, you know, that sort of one point of intrigue for me, that that quiet thing that people do that nobody talks about yeah. and I just know about it. <laughs> so I started writing um, erotic fiction not um, not to titillate readers or anything like that, just because I was pretty interested in it. And mm. I was interested in asking what if questions, you know, what if you did this and what if you did that? And I'm pretty spack at personal relationships. Like I'm, I'm not a very good interactor. So... Um, I was, try- I was also probably trying to figure out how to do those relationships. Mm. So I started writing erotic fiction and then I ended up writing the thesis, which, um, as I said, is a, um, is a um, merging of fiction and non- non-fiction worlds. Um, and I hope to still try to figure out what to do with it, whether to publish it as an entire work or to take the fiction components and publish them as a novel. But um, that's that's the next thing on my kind of agenda, working out what to do with that work because it's 100,000 words. It's a massive thing. Mm. I just have to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this? In the context of erotic fiction, saying it's a massive thing seems like a... <laughs> So many, so many double entendres. <laughs> in fact, I did, I did put a couple in my thesis just for my own fun. For your own amusement. <laughs> I like doing that. I like putting little nods to myself in things where I'm like, I will understand this and maybe a couple of other people, mm. uh, like in podcasts or things like making a little reference here or there. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time that you ever wrote something and, and shared it with people? Yeah, I was like 10 and there was a Father's Day um, competition for the Herald Sun and mm. you had to write about your dad. Right. So I wrote a little vignette about my dad and I won the competition, which is pretty huge. It made me like a mega super celebrity at school. <laughs> and I, I, I remember this only because the other day I was thinking about it because I was going through the supermarket and Madonna started playing and I, I happen to know the True Blue album very well because that's what I won. So, mm. but um, but I, I think I've always just apart from that, I've always just written stuff and I've always shared it with people. Mm. I've never been scared about sharing it because I like to get people's reactions. I like to watch actually watch people as they read my work and um, hear what they've got to say. And oftentimes I don't take any notice of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's more it's more of a kind of intriguing experiment for me because I know what I want to do and um and I'm not that concerned about validation. Mm. Especially as I'm getting older. I don't, I actually don't care because I find for the most part people um <clears throat> um a lot of my work people just don't understand and that's because um not because they're stupid or anything like that. It's just because it's the highly specialised thing that I write. And really not many people have read that much erotic fiction. You would think it would be more popular. Mm. So there was a while, just on the topic of uh, of the erotica, there was a while where you were considered somewhat of an authority kind of figure in that kind of world, but you have stepped away from it a little bit. Yeah, I, I made a decision to step away from it because... Um, and here's the reason. So give it mouse about taking um, um, it's about this kind of broader view of creative work, right? Mm. And so if my erotica, if I'm going to take a broader view on that, that means that my erotic writing, the things that I have to say about erotica and as a kind of offshoot of that sex go into the public um you know, into the broader public. They're not mm. just, um, they don't just remain in the academy. And within the academy, I can have a quite sanitized discussion about philosophy, about, um, you know, those aspects of sex that actually fascinate me the most, about the erotic and how it's connected to violence. And, um, and, and it's safe. So there, there are a few times I think when I, I went on conferences and stuff like that and academics would assume that just because I spoke about this stuff that, you know, I was going to be all up for partying with them. <laughs> Putting your keys in a bowl. A couple of, yeah, there were a couple of small incidences like that but nothing massive. But as soon as you hit the kind of broader market with that stuff, there is this assumption that you what you do somehow reflects who you are, mm. what you think about, what you're fascinated by, um, you know, academically is who you are. And it's very difficult. I mean, you would know this from what you do. You know, it's very yeah. difficult for people to separate those two things in their heads. Everyone does come up to me and, and tell me what makes them silly. There you go. And it's like you care when you're doing a pod, like when you're interviewing someone, but do you really care generally? Maybe some days, but some days not. Mm. So, and, you know, that's okay if, if people are telling you what makes them silly. No, no, I'm just, I was being facetious. I don't think, oh, I don't think people actually know who I being, am. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, you know. Um, but I understand your point. It's a possibility, you know, that's not something that's out of, the realm of things that can happen. Mm. But when people come up to you and they start telling you, you know, stuff that about their very personal lives or writing to you on Facebook and saying you're about the only person in the world who I know who will understand this, it's like, whoa, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a different realm. And it's also an ethical realm for me that I don't want to tread in. And, and, um, and yeah, just that became really difficult. I mean, even um, talking about this stuff like in the newspaper and stuff like that and you read the Facebook comments afterwards and, you know, p people just say things that are unnecessary and that are, they probably think are funny but it's actually... Well, they're acting out of fear. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it's anxiety. Sex does, you know, raise um, 
people's anxiety levels considerably. So, so I decided that I would pursue one of my other really burning interests, and that is how people live creative lives, how they um, how they sustain a creative life, because I think it's a, a, a difficult and sometimes very courageous choice that people make, mm. and to somehow provide them the support mechanisms for being able to do that because I value art above most other things in Mm. this world. So, Well, it's funny you should have found your way onto my show, which is all about creatives who have managed to find a way to sustain their life. What a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of strange coming across your podcast because it's exactly, you know, the same topic matter, huh? Yeah, except Um, just different format. But especially for young people, you know, I've being a um, teacher at uni and a lot of young people um, kind of so keen and so um, enamoured by the thought of being a writer or being a designer or whatever. Mm. And um, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but no one's saying to them, okay, so how are you actually, how are you actually going to do this? Yeah, yeah. You know, on a pr- pragmatic level. How are you actually going to be able to afford to go to the dentist? How are you actually <laughs> going to be able to afford to, you know, um, send your kids on school excursions? Mm. And the reality is, and this is what I've, I've kind of determined after speaking to so many creative people and having them as my mates and watching their lives, is that most people are married to people who sustain them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or in, in romantic partnerships. Yeah, yeah. Um, or they're doing kind of other jobs to keep the money coming in. Yeah. And it's not actually their their passion, creative works that are making them their money. Mm. I think there's a problem with that. There is. And, I mean, you and I have had discussions about, because I've been trying to understand, you know, even podcasting on an entrepreneurial level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things you said to me, which is something I never even considered, was go and, you know, create a course for people yeah. who want to understand how to make a podcast. Learn, yeah. Like, and, you know, writing books and things like this that are perhaps not the thing, but actually finding things where, they're, where, where they are sustainable, mm. at least in, um, in the short to midterm. And that it's you not, don't have to turn up every day for. Yeah, and it's, uh, th- but this is not something that's ever taught. Mm-hmm. You know? and there's, there's no education of this for creatives. I certainly didn't learn any of this at film school. No. I learned how to, you know, fucking draw up a spreadsheet for a budget. And... You learned that. That's awesome. No, I awesome. didn't. Uh, well, there was the class, but I wagged it. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I learned how to, you know, compose a, a nice shot and I learned how to structure a script and... Yeah. Um, to an extent, how to direct actors, but yeah, there's no kind of and even at um, I went to a private acting school in Melbourne, yeah. um, that was a year long course, and even there, even though they tried to kind of have an element of how to make it post drama school, yeah, there's no there's no real education about what that means about the practical and as you say pragmatic element of that, mm-hmm. um. And I met this um, amazing drama teacher named Larry Moss who uh, teaches people like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and uh, 
he said to me, which I'll never forget, he said, once you're out of school, it's all an inside job. And it's and it's true, you know, that that but you need to have the foundation of the education first yeah. to understand what that actually means. Yeah. And it's a pretty good question to ask. Why is it that we're not teaching this? Mm. Why is it that we're not passing down this knowledge? Why is it that I'm going to go meet an author friend today for lunch and we're going to sit there and we're going to talk about our work and what we're doing, what our projects are, but neither of us is going to mention the, you know, the fact of how much we're getting paid for any of these projects, yeah. where our sources of income are, or even just how we're going to invoice. You know, what does our invoice look like? What does it need to include? We're not mm. going to talk about that stuff and perhaps we should be having those conversations. But they're kind of dirty. I mean, isn't it the isn't it an indication of the kind of culture in the creative arts that says that's dirty, that's that's dirty talk. You you don't degrade your work by thinking about those things. And that's why the atelier became really important for me as a model. Mm. Um, and as the model for Give It Mouth too. What's the so, uh, what's the atelier before you go on? Yeah, so the atelier is this idea that sort of, that artists will make their studio and they'll introduce other artists to their studio and they'll all work together to produce works. But whilst they're working, they're learning not only technique, not only method, but they're also learning things like how to keep the studio clean. Yeah. How to, and this is important if you're a sculptor, um, not so much if you're a writer, but but also if you're a writer. I mean, I've seen a lot of writers' offices, and mm. you cannot produce, you cannot make a, a an organised workflow in some of those offices. I've seen a picture of your office on uh, social media. It's a bit messy. It was a little <laughs> bit messy. It yeah, was... I'm, I'm inherently. Me- I mean, this this comes with. This comes with the property, right? Mm. And so what I what I recognised was I had to teach myself those skills. Mm. I had to I had to either learn those skills, or I had to go under. Yeah, that was it. Four years ago, that was me. Learn these skills, Nomi, or go under, or go and get yourself a nice corporate job where you're you're actually slave to some other sort of you know corporate whip. Yeah. And, so I decided to learn the skills. I said, okay, I'm up for this. I can learn this. Mm. And now that I've learned it, I can teach other people as well. Mm. Just like the atelier, just like a studio where we all come together and we say, okay, we're producing these works for the, for the, and they're commercial. Mm. Like, you know, most of the great artists produced a lot of commercial work they had to because that's how they sustained themselves. Yeah. Nothing dirty in that. No, not at all. You say that, but I go say that to my friend who I'm having lunch with today and she'll go, what ha- you know, what are you thinking? Yeah. Produce work for the commercial world. What and that's th- why she'll be impoverished for a long time. But she doesn't know. And, and I make that judgment without even knowing who she is. Yeah, so that's you know, pretty... I mean, but we're talking about an avatar, right? We're not. I'm not talking about this particular person. Yeah. We're talking about an avatar, a way of thinking about things. And the thing about it, in her mind, she's not impoverished because mm. she's probably not. She, you know, she's she's probably not impoverished because she's being sustained by her partner. Right. 
or she's being sustained by some other sort of corporate entity, which she doesn't acknowledge as part of, you know, how she looks after herself. Yeah, yeah. And wouldn't it be great if we didn't need that? Is, this is something that you yourself uh, came from, isn't it? Definitely. De- you know, you, you read the um, article that I wrote where I talk about coming from an extremely comfortable middle-class existence, having the luxury and privilege of being able to just focus on my work um, and not having to think about anything else because somebody else was taking care of that. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, this is also slightly gender related to gender, but, yeah. um, you know, I see it on from both, an, it's an attitude from both men and women. And um, then suddenly not, or making the choice not to have that anymore. And, and at that point, like I said, having to go, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to go under or are you going to learn the skills for doing this? All or nothing. That's it. That's mm. it. I wasn't prepared to be, and I did think about it. I thought if I just hang in here for a few more years, you know, I can establish myself and then I can leave. Yeah. But it was all or nothing. Mm. So the last four years have been a massive period of learning for me and um, a massive period of acquiring the skills that I need to be able to say this is what I do and what I do sustains me and it sustains my children mm. How many- and their children too. I mean, we're also talking about a legacy here that um, that I'm trying to build. So yeah, yeah. that's something that a lot of, a lot of um, creators don't think about but they're in a wonderful position to be able to because – all those aphorisms about art being forever. Mm. You know, Shakespeare. So long lives this and this gives life to thee. It's like as soon as the word is there, it's there forever. Yeah. So why don't we think about legacies? Mm. Sense. I'm going to leave a massive podcast legacy. <laughs> you are. You're, <laughs> you're living it now. But do you know what? Do you know, honestly, have you ever thought about what you want done with it if you died, you know, in... You know, just say you do this the next 10 years and you do have mm. this massive legacy, what do you want people to do with it? Well, for me, it's a lot of it's about education, really. But, but yeah, but, you know, it's one person's idea of education, I think another person. Look at Amy Winehouse, you know, mm. like she, she left. Um, I like that you're comparing me to Amy Winehouse. <laughs> well, thank you. So much, Naomi. Uh, I, I I really appreciate your time, and I love what you're doing with Give It Mouth. I think it is fucking fantastic, and I would highly, highly encourage anyone listening to this, creative or otherwise, um, to to check it out, to see what you're doing, and to see how you're actually building your own little creative empire from the ground up. Tilia. Mm. I do. Um. I do have one last question for you. Uh. Which I which I ask uh, I ask everyone, and um, that is uh, what makes you silly. What makes me silly is slapstick humor. Right. I find it hilarious, <laughs> and so I I reckon I've got the um, sense of humor of like a twelve year old boy, 
And so I'm in the cinema and there's like a slapstick scene, even of a really bad, and I'm just laughing so much. It's not funny. So, mm. and, and then people in the audience actually start laughing at me as well. So <laughs> slapstick, fart, humor, you know, really puerile jokes about penises make me laugh so much. And I think they put me in my really silly space. Yeah. Do you have a, very serious. Do you have a favorite slapstick memory? Um, the most recent one probably is that I saw a really bad film um, called, I can't even remember what it was called. It, it, it's a number two and it's scene number two. I'll laugh at two. that. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I was trying to figure out how to segue that into a poo joke. <laughs> oh, it's that one where the man pulls the funny faces and he's like a model. Oh, Zoolander. Yeah, I saw Zoolander too, which is really a very bad film. There's this hilarious scene where he's taking selfies in a car and then he rolls the car and the car just keeps rolling. <laughs> I can't even recall it without laughing. I was seriously laughing so much and I make this really funny noise when I laugh because I can't breathe properly. And the entire audience just actually started laughing at me laughing. Right. So, um, yeah, that's definitely my silly silly space. Did you think that Fifty Shades of Grey was a slapstick comedy? (laughs) Boom, boom. Very good. Coming up next on the Movers and Shakers in the Underground Creative Series is a young artist that I discovered via Instagram. She has established herself as one of the most prolific and consistently working painters, uh, artists in in Melbourne. You can find her work uh, on Instagram at Danielle's Artwork Official or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Danielle's Artwork. Please put your hands together. I'm going to trust that you're doing that unless you're driving, in which case um, just think about clapping or blink. As I welcome Danielle Weber to the chat cave. I I like to usually just roll into it yeah and then the other person doesn't realize and then about three minutes in they're like when are we starting or are we is started? that like are we starting right now is that it yeah we've already started yeah oh like that <laughs> <laughs> okay um every now and then when i'm interviewing someone i find it difficult to do the normal research that i do about a person because that information isn't as readily available and you're kind of a, what do you call yourself? Like, like what I do or? It's, I mean, I know you, say, you're a painter. I'm an artist. I'd say an artist if someone said, what do you, like, what do, you mm. do for a living? What do you do with yourself? Yeah. And you're a painter, you're, you're an artist and you're, you've created this amazing following and career for yourself predominantly by using social media is is my understanding correct when did you when did you first start painting do you remember the first time that you ever painted anything and you know you you got some really positive feedback about it um i've always loved i guess i I remember my childhood quite clearly so i mean whether I was two, three years old, I remember that I was always um, a hands-on child and we didn't have access to technology. So um, 
yeah, like it was sort of, you know, what we did as kids, like we'd sit there and play with Play-Doh and paint and draw. So, and um, I think the first time I got positive feedback on my work was when I was in prep and I won an award for a drawing that I did. So, wow. What was the drawing of? Um, it was a girl playing the drums. Is that because so you wanted to be a drummer? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But it was like, now, like I've still got the drawing mm. and um, she's pretty crazy looking. So mm. I don't think I'd be able to come up with something like that if I tried now, but that's all right. So <laughs> I think I would have been five years old. So, and then I guess, um, yeah, I always sort of won awards in prim- primary school and in high school. Mm. Still never aspired to be an artist though, even at that age. So. Right, so when was that kind of moment where you started to take it seriously as a career choice? Uh, probably, I only I only stopped and thought to myself about a year ago maybe and thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like mm. this is my life now and this is, this is where it's going. Um, before that, I probably three years ago, I was under the impression that everyone could do what I do. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I just didn't, you know, I thought, oh, may- maybe people enjoy it more so than others and that's why I'm, you know, delving into the arts more and, mm. you know, I just thought, I honestly thought everyone had that sort of talent and um, I sort of had to have it drummed into me that that wasn't the case. And then when people started to really, like, recognize, recognize my work and yeah. I was like, okay, maybe this is something special. But, yeah, it wasn't up until a year ago that I was like, this is what, um, you know, I want to do. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So, yeah. When I stumbled across your artwork, I mean, there were, there were a few things that really struck me. I mean, first of all, it's incredible work. Um, second of all, you seem to have this kind of almost underground but celebrity kind of thing going on where um, like you've done artwork for Tim Cahill and for The Rock. Um, and you've kind of created this momentum through Instagram and um, Facebook and these social media platforms where you have a direct access to your audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was never my intentions. Like I, I never sat down and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint celebrities and, mm. and you know, um, it, it, it's it, – it's I've only ever really chased my passion and I mean um the the celebrities that I have painted have initially been for clients that um have wanted them you know on their wall for whatever reason and um you know when the when the I I don't know how long Tim Cahill was following my work for but um the rock saw my work somehow like even when I met him I asked him I'm like how did you find me he goes I think someone must have sent it to me or I must come up on my feed uh, because I didn't even he initially saw it on my personal page that wasn't mm. even my artwork page so I didn't even you know tag him and say hey like everyone tagged the rock um, <laughs> like it was sort of just it sort of just fell into my lap so I think like I'd probably I'll get more into it later on but mm. it's a I good think niche yeah like I think like that's sort of a perfect example of what happens when you follow your passion and you don't chase things that are maybe yeah, yeah, like yeah. insignificant like you know as a lot of people will you know chase things that are far like you know not in reach or you know not going to be of any benefit to them so tell me the story of um like painting that picture of the rock and actually like the whole thing of meeting how it'll happen yeah Yeah. okay um it's a bit of a long story so i'll try sort of cut it down a little bit that's all right this whole thing is just a ramble (laughs) (laughs) um well 
I had a client ask for me to paint him and this was probably, I, I generally try to paint my paintings pretty quickly. They, you know, have quite a um, big, well, I'd say like a line of work lined up. Um, and this is one that I just took my time with and I think I worked on it over three or four months and um, we sort of made, the, the client made a few changes and we really sort of put a lot of effort into the composition and what was in that painting. And, um, you know, I, I know The Rock, like, but I've never been, I've never been a fangirl of any celebrities really. Like I might, you know, have a lot of respect for their backgrounds and their stories and what, you know, that, what, how they've gotten to where they are, but I've never sort of been like, oh my God, like this person and, mm. you know, put stuck photos of them up on my wall or anything. <laughs> like it's not. Um, Believe it or not, I had pictures of The Rock on my wall. Oh, I'm going to tell him that next time I speak to him. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, I, um, he, I woke up one day, um, I, I put a progress photo up on my personal page. I like to cross promote and sort of keep, you know, all, both audiences updated. And, um, I'd woken up and my Instagram had gone crazy. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Like, you know, it was a normal Saturday morning and mm. he'd commented and he'd said, oh, like amazing work. Um, and said like some sort of cheeky smart ass comment as he does. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, oh, wow, like, that's amazing. And so when I finished the painting, I put it up on my Instagram and said a massive thank you, not thinking he'd see it mm. um, and just sort of, you know, said what it meant to me, him taking the time to recognize my art. Like there's nothing greater than that, you know, anyone recognizing your art, let alone someone of that status. So, mm. um, yeah, and then he reshared that and in his message had sort of said some really nice things and at the end of it said, oh, I'm looking forward to meeting you one day. And I'm thinking, well, you know, someone doesn't say that if they don't mean that. So yeah, yeah. I thought I'll take that on board. Um, I had spoken to a few people who I have, you know, um, have sort of parallel goals or, you know, driven the same drive as me and mm. we were talking about what I um, should paint. And it wasn't like I won't take credit, it wasn't my idea, but he's like, why don't you paint like his, him and his, his mum? Mm. I'm like, that's such a good idea because – and then when I thought about it, like, you know, looking into his story, he has a lot of respect for his mum. His mum's been through, you know, a pretty hard time. And I sort of had the same, I could relate to that with my mum because basically I'm painting because of my mum. So, mm. um, yeah, so I ended up painting him and his mum. At that point, he was following my personal page. So um, that was pretty good direct contact to him. I had a trip planned to America, went to America. Um, I did that painting of him in like, 48 hours straight I hadn't slept because I had to do it really quickly oh, wow. um so That's um and because I was studying right up until the day I left too so I had my family at like a few hours before my flight all trying to pull the canvas off the <laughs> off the, the um off the frame and I ended up carrying it around America um he was busy filming in Boston so he hadn't seen that I was there until I was leaving Miami and it was sort of a bit late by the time he saw I was there and I thought you know what, I'm just gonna get on with my trip mm. Um, long story short, he did see that I was there, gave his social media manager my number. I get a text message saying, Hey, Hey D or something like that. And I'm like, who's this? Like, I, I was so rude back yeah, yeah. writing back. And then he's like, Oh, it's, it's DJ. Like, it looks like you've had a great holiday. Da, 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 da. So it was his personal text, texting me off his personal number. And I'm wow. thinking, ah, like I threw my phone. I was in Cuba at this point. So, um, no internet, not much reception. So the, texting like the communicating mm. between me and him and i was alone in cuba too so i was wow. yeah sort of like oh could you 
from Cuba smell what the rock was cooking? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, no, but um, he was like, he was in Boston, which I knew was quite far from, and I was really sick the last week in Cuba. Mm. Um, and I was sort of carrying this painting around, didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I was already three weeks into uni and um, thinking, okay, like, do I just do this? Like, do I persist? Like, he's busy. It was like mm. three days delay between our messages. And then um, I ended up catching five flights from Cuba to Boston, probably an extra three grand in debt <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah. Um, got to my to get got to take my um got to the last flight the last leg oh mm. um i lost the painting um yeah. i left it in a restaurant and i was about to get on the plane i had no sleep like i was literally yeah, running yeah. on nothing so i got to the get boarding gate and i was like oh, where's the painting i was like shit and so i've never run like i don't like running but i ran so fast through that airport <laughs> to get that painting i nearly got it taken off me in cuba too because you need a certificate when you're taking artwork out of the country Right. So they didn't believe me that it was mine and they made me pay a massive tax on it. So that was another. <laughs> so anyways, we got to Houston and I got held up in customs and nearly fined because I had Cuban rum and Cuban cigars, not knowing that I wasn't allowed to take it into America because you're allowed it in Australia. Mm. And um, basically got interrogated and I was trying not to cry and they made me miss my flight. Then I stayed in a scary Mexican um, hotel and I had people banging on my door for the few hours that I had to sleep so I didn't sleep and basically he sent me his it was he when I got to Houston he'd sent me a message saying let me know when you're in LA Mm. and I would just made the trek to get to Boston I was like oh hell no that's not happening Mm. so I'm like too late I'm already on my way to Boston Mm. and then he gave me his PA's number in the morning mm. and I hadn't showered in like three days. I made sure I told him that <laughs> I hadn't slept in like three days. But when I got there, I'm like, I haven't showered and I haven't slept, but at least I made it to you. So, but I was in the taxi, like on the way to set. So mm. I ended up meeting him and Kevin Hart and watching them film. Wow. Um, uh, Central Intelligence, which is coming out this year. Should be the number one promoter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, and yeah, I was like, who am I going to tell? Cause it was like a ridiculous hour and, um, in Australia so I called my mum like hey mum I'm on the way to meet the rock she's like you're what I'm like I'm in a taxi just going to the set she's like you okay I'm like yeah I'm fine I haven't slept in three days but I'm good mm. and yeah so he yeah he changed my life literally the things that we spoke about and the yeah what I got out of meeting him and what he made me realize is yeah mm. incredible what sort of things did he tell you that changed your life um I guess it's how he, I guess it's how he had so much interest in what I was doing and um, I guess it wasn't maybe what he told me, it was maybe just the whole experience and, you know, seeing someone of his status taking the time to talk to me and take three hours out of, you know, we're going in between sets um, mm. and in between um, scenes. And like, honestly, I sat on the set, like within the first 10 minutes that I got that, um, that I got there. And I said to myself, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to explain what's about to happen yeah, like, yeah. to anyone. So yeah. when people ask me that whole three hour window that I was there, 
like it's so hard to explain just because it's yeah like mm. it, it's not I can't I don't think I can put words to it it's yeah so but he did make me realize that um I was on the right track and that following my passion like had ended me up there and will end me up in even better places yeah so yeah yeah so and he like ultimately he that's what he had done to follow his passion and work hard and mm. his work ethic as well that's something i look up to we spoke about how you know we don't sleep really and <laughs> and um yeah like we just make the most out of every day and don't take anything for granted as well so mm. yeah so there's a few little key key messages that sort of just ones that will probably you know somewhere in the back of my mind but just needed you know that um little bit of a push <laughs> someone to kind of ignite them yeah 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 what do you think the role of the artist is in society and in the world well that's a hard question um i mean there's so many like artists being an artist is such a broad term like mm. you can really just you know i consider everyone an artist because i think that everyone has a creative side and everyone has an imagination so you know whether or not you can put it to paper or put it into film or put it into music you i think everyone's an artist because mm. yeah you've 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 got a soul you've got a mind you've got an imagination and that in itself is you know powerful like art is powerful and um yeah i guess like it's hard to say what it you know means like do you mean what it means to me or um i think art um means a lot on a personal level just because um i've seen how much it's changed me Mm. and how much it's changed other people and um but how it can be such a battle as well so i think art to me is just a it wouldn't even be like some people say on, you know, it's an escape. But for me, it's just a, you know, it's like my best friend. Like it's just, Mm. (laughs) it's like as long as I'm, you know, it's in my life somehow or, you know, whether I'm painting or thinking about something to paint or everything I look at is like, I think of art, I guess. So, Mm. yeah. I'm the same, but everything I see is a story. Yeah. It's like, what's the... What's the story to be told here? What's the relationship? Yes. Who are these people and what's their background? It's crazy. I just found a way to like do it and have other people listen to it. Yeah. It's just called a podcast. It's awesome. Yeah. So good. Um, I bought a ladder the other day and I was like, I wonder what the story behind this ladder is. <laughs> like it was an old vintage I was going to say if it was from Bunnings. No, no, nah, that's like, not that interesting at all. No. <laughs> um, but no, I bought a ladder and I was like staring at it and I said to my dad, I'm like, dad so interesting like i wonder where this ladder has come from and like mm. what the story and he was just sort of looking at me like is this is my daughter normal or <laughs> <laughs> i was so intrigued yeah <laughs> i got over it after half an hour but yeah it was a good half an hour of um sort of lost in the ladder well you know that that kind of curiosity i think is one of the big roles of the artist is to you know ask important questions with your art or through your art and through what you do mm. And what you have to say. Um, some of the some of your work that I've seen that isn't so the celebrity stuff really is quite um, there's there's quite a lot of depth mm. to that stuff. Even the, I mean the celebrity stuff there's depth to as well, but it's not on the same kind of scale. 
I think that I think having that kind of curiosity is yeah. really important to look yeah. at a ladder and go, I wonder what I wonder where this has been. I wonder yeah. who's climbed this ladder. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, it, you probably can relate. Sometimes it it really gets annoying because it's like brain. Can you please just stop for a second? <laughs> like you're you're tiring me. But I mean, I can appreciate that I have that that mm. depth and I have the ability to think like that. So it's what meditation you'll find useful for at some point. Yeah, I think I need to, I need to uh, grasp that a little better. <laughs> um, you, you, you made a comment before that you have like quite a, that you're quite busy um, and you have a backlog of um, clients uh, who, who you're, who you're, um, who are commissioning you mm-hmm. to paint, and to have that kind of output, I think, is quite rare for a painter particularly in Australia. Yeah. Um, do you find that there's, uh, do you find that validating or, or do you find it challenging or are you? <clears throat> um, it is, it is validating because you, you ever, all artists know how hard it is to make a living. Mm. Um, and all, all artists know how hard it is to maintain that, that living essentially. So it is validating. Um, it's difficult at times because, um, you know, I've I've sort of taken the path of painting mainstream and painting what other people want to be able to make a living. Mm. So I guess, you know, I do, I'm so grateful that I do have work, but at times when you're painting for other people and, you, you know, um, you know, there's quite a big demand for me to get those commissions out and some deadlines um, as well. Um, it can get hard because I'm pretty stubborn, like and as any other artist, like if you don't want to paint something, you won't paint it. So there could be paintings that I start and then don't touch for three months. Yeah. And, you know, unless you have an artistic mind, you don't understand that. So it's really, really hard to explain to people, to paying customers, basically. Mm. So that's the hard part because, you know, I obviously want to develop my style, but I've compromised a little bit in order to make a living out of what I do. I still love what I do, but I've just got to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. You have to, you've got to be an entrepreneur. You know, exactly. you can't, you can't just make art for art's sake. There needs to be a purpose and yeah. there needs to be a support mechanism because we live in a capitalist society. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of artists do struggle because, you know, um, there's, that's, that's what artists are like you know they've got their own style and Mm. they you know they're proud of it and which they should be and they and they don't they don't want to compromise like they want people to love their work for what their work is and what the meaning behind their work is and i'm like that too you know i'd love to just paint whatever i wanted and throw it out and then be like buy this but you know we're in the 21st century like people Mm. people don't unless you know you're picasso and you've got a reputation and then so yeah so what i've done is built a reputation for the mainstream things and then hopefully once i've got that following i can paint my own my own collection and and Mm. hopefully but for every picasso there's a van gogh who you know was not successful in his lifetime and i think his work is brilliant um so this what i'm about to say next is not a reflection of him yeah and I'm sure that there are a lot of artists out there who are brilliant, who are impoverished. Yeah. But I think at a certain point when you're just doing it for yourself and there's a demand that people should be paying you for it, it becomes self-indulgent. 
And it's not, for me, that's not what artistry is about. Artistry yeah. is about connecting people and telling stories and, you know, creating love and creating relationships and creating a feeling that we are all a collective unit. We're yeah. not, this is what I'm going to do and, if, and, and you should pay me for it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. That may be a controversial thing to say. I don't it know. It is very, very controversial. I was going to say, like, um, yeah, the art world is people wouldn't realise how political it is and mm. and and honestly, and that's why I've just gone out on my own and said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. Um, mm. There's a, I, you know, I cop a lot of flack for what I do from certain artists and I know behind the scenes I would cop a lot more than, you know, I don't even see it. So, yeah, yeah. and a lot of other mainstream artists would as well. Mm. But at the end of the day, who's making a living and, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I, I want to eat, I want to, I've got goals, you know, I want to, so, but it, it is like, as you said, what you've just mentioned is very like you'd, you'd have a fair debate up against you for the artists that don't, you know, sort of, um, mm. believe in that. Yeah. But well, that's cool. So, they um, they can, yeah. oh, they, no. can, they can, they can find and me I see both. Podcast <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter coming up next on Facebook. <laughs> no, I, I, I see both sides. So, yeah. and I'm grateful that I do because, you know, I, that I'm. I am where I am and then that's the difference between me and a lot of other artists who don't also don't have that entrepreneurial, that business, mm, business like mine. Yeah. And that's where a lot of artists not go wrong as, as such, but they, they, you know, they don't, they, that's, that's the difference. That's really, yeah. Mm. In, in response to people who would say that and who are naysayers towards what you do and what your sort of contemporaries do in terms of, being commercially driven artists, I would say just tell them to go fuck themselves. Because <laughs> you're probably living a much more joyful. Totally, life what I'm going to do to these pins and needles in my left foot as well. <laughs> you can tell that to go fuck itself as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. Yeah. Um, if I let it bother me, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't yeah, have been doing it. For, of course. Yeah. Also, as a female in the social media sort of spotlight, you cop a lot of flack as well. So. Right. When did you start putting your stuff up on social media? Um, two years ago. I'd say it was um, conjoined. I think I've had my artwork page for a little bit more than a year. Yeah. Um, but, oh, no. the first, How it all happened is I think it was about five years ago I put up a, like just a fun painting for, mm. that I did for a friend's mum. Someone saw that, asked for them asked oh hey can you paint i think it was arnie or something and then i put that one up and then someone saw that and said hey can you paint this and then it literally just blew up from that right yeah i did see that you had a picture a painting of um steven gerrard there if he ever asks you um to meet him in person to give him that can i come with you yeah but i just don't have the painting so i got another right. one <laughs> <laughs> um you said before that you had to make you've had to make a lot of compromises uh and one of the things that i talk to a lot of people about on this is about relationships and being able to sustain relationships i've spoken to directors and producers and actors and there's kind of seems to be two extremes it's either they've found someone who who they get along with so fucking well and they just love and support each other so much that they kind of exist almost in a bubble within the industry that they're working in. Yeah. Or there's the flip side where, you know, the long hours, 
Um, you know, in the case of actors, you know, sometimes they need to be intimate with other actors, you know, the kind of, I guess, the anxieties and the jealousy and, and this mm. sort of stuff um, is impo- like just becomes too much to deal with. Yeah. How have you found, I guess, as, as a painter trying to, is it a complex situation or is it just, is it fairly straightforward? Um, yeah, well, I wish I could live in that little bubble and I wish I've had that, I could say I've had that experience, but no, I haven't. Um, I've found it really, really complex and, um, yeah, unfortunately have experienced the, the jealous, um, not, not, you know, not really understanding. Um, I guess social media plays a massive part in that you know it mm. i think honestly i probably think one of the number one causes of all relationship issues if not breakups would be social media How i'd so? love to see a status uh, uh, like a study on that right um i, I don't know like I, I guess just you know there's you know sex sells these days and it's mm. everywhere and um you know if one has insecurities and then there's you know trust issues it just blows up from there and then the anxiety as you said like there's you know anxieties on both both parties and um i think yeah the attention uh, like me personally like i found that um the amount of attention that i was getting whether Mm -hmm. it was on my personal page um, like I'm a young girl, like if I want to upload a photo of my bikini in my bikini, I will. Like I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm going to be sag. I'm going to be saggy as shit in 10 years. Like I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> I make the most of it. Hey, we'll hope it's a little bit more than 10 years, but like you I'm, I'm going to be, yeah, true. I'm hoping that's on my side. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm going to make the most of it. Like we're in, we're living in the 21st century. Like I, you know, um, I think, you know, if I go overseas and want to take whatever photos I want to take, like it's my it's my social media. Like my parents don't have a problem with it. Mm. My family doesn't have a problem with it. So why should, you know, a partner tell me what I should wear or what I should do? I got, you know, pulled up on cleavage that was really not bad at all. And mm. you just, you know, it was someone seven years my senior. And I'm thinking, you know, that's just not, not on. Like yeah, yeah. it's really not on. Um, and then, yeah, there was a lot of, comments made about um what i posted on social media and what other people were commenting and i'm thinking you know i i know what the consequences are when i post something and i'm not going to complain if i get you know not so nice comments from males but i don't if i don't get affected by it why should anyone else get affected by it um Mm. you know and i can't control what other people say so that was another issue and then there was the the rock situation. Instead of being happy for me, there was it was jealous, pure jealousy. So yeah, right. Yeah, the rock is a very thick man. Yeah, look, he's great, like great guy, but I I would not see. I'm you know five foot nothing, and he's <laughs> like six foot whatever. So I I would never see that going anywhere. Really. Yeah. And he's <laughs> he's totally married, like twenty years. Yeah, he's got a girlfriend and he's, and got, he's a had, got a kid yeah. and twenty years older than me. So yeah, I look, think you know it's just it was just unbelievable like but yeah it, it and i i think the pain like i i spend like sometimes i spend 16 hours in my studio and i'd prefer to do that than go out and watch movies i don't watch tv i don't really watch mm. you know like if, if you want to come watch a movie in my studio cool but as long as i can paint <laughs> at the same time you know what i mean so um yeah so that's going to be very hard to find someone that's understanding of the messed up hours that i do yeah yeah the life of an artist hey i work better at night 
Yeah, yeah. I, I won't be in bed to give you any cuddles. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put a bed in your studio. Yeah, there you go. I've got a yeah. sofa bed, so I don't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> so what you need is you need like on one side of the room you have your easel mm. and then on the other side of the room you have the man cave mm. and you just coexist separately yeah. in the same space. Look, like the offer's there. No, the, not the offer is not there anymore <laughs> after what I've endured. So, <laughs> yeah, no. You know, I think, to your point, as long as you're happy with what you're doing, that should be enough for a partner. A hundred percent, yeah. Think, I think the role, of, the role in relationships should be to magnify, you know, the beauty or the mm. dreams of the other person. Yeah. That's the dream, is to have that kind of really beautiful symbiosis where it's two people who are collaborating on a life together that are genuinely happy for you and your successes yeah which is so rare yeah because even people you know you could just you can like you know we we go we feel like other people's feelings and we feel like we, mm. you know we go by vibes so if you know someone's like i'm so happy for you it's like no you're not i feel it like yeah, I, can, yeah. I can feel it right now like you don't even need to look <laughs> at me and i can tell that you're not so <laughs> yeah 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 so mm. So, for me, life is all about creating. It's all about uh, on, at kind of every level. And, um, you know, whether it's creating a podcast or creating a film or um, creating people or creating a meal, for me, that's what, that's what life is all about. And, I mean, it's taken me many years to kind of understand that on a philosophical level what are you kind of working towards in in that sense like my my goals in the future well, I guess or it's like this is a really roundabout way of me saying what do you think the meaning of life is okay yeah um well yeah like i'm a massive believer in um of course like living life to the, to the fullest basically um mm. But um, I think for me, you know, happiness is, you know, something that everyone um, aspires to, you know, like ha- uh, to have, like, good, mm. you know, obviously, you know, you have your bad days and whatnot. But, um, you know, life to me is just about enjoying yourself and really following what you love. Like, yeah. I mean everyone has different priorities but you know i've followed my passion and never followed materialistic things never followed um you know like money uh, monetary um you know success yeah success gain gain, yeah and you know money has ended up falling in my lap and you know i'm like not that it's any like i don't go out and blow it all because i'm like not not materialistic so um i've gone and traveled i think it's about you know life's about exploring and really finding yourself which i don't think you'll ever really really know yourself like i think you always keep learning you always have more to learn about yourself um Mm. but yeah basically just so that's such a hard question (laughs) (laughs) i don't think there's ever really an answer yeah yeah i think you're in a constant i think i think i'm in a constant state of 
figuring it out and I don't think that will ever change. In fact, I hope it never changes because yeah. I don't ever want to really be definitive in any of my answers. Well, because you can all, you, it's so hard because life, the meaning of life I think will change as you change and change as, you know, you make different decisions and you follow different paths and, you know, kick off your goals that you want to kick off. So it's yeah that's really that's a really really hard question it's a good question but um (laughs) it's sort of frustrating me that i can't answer that (laughs) no it's just whatever it is for you yeah yeah i Uh, think really just laughing off everything no matter how shit things get (laughs) just shake it off yeah literally because hate is gonna hate yeah it's good old taylor swift yeah um well, thank you so much, Danielle, for hanging out and chatting with me on this podcast. Where can the good people find your artwork? Ooh, so may or may not have a gallery opening soon, but I can't um, give you exact details on that. <laughs> but that's just to give you a heads up that it will be coming. Yeah. Um, that will be in Melbourne, mm. um, in somewhere in Melbourne. And uh, basically on Instagram, it's Danielle's Artwork Official. And um, I've got a website that's about to launch as well, which is also Danielle's Artwork. Dot com. Dot com. That's correct. And (laughs) um, there's Facebook as well, which is also Danielle's Artwork. So you can find Danielle under Danielle's Artwork across (laughs) all platforms. Hey, the Instagram has official on it, and I really, oh, I really regret doing that, but that's okay. It's there. It's Is there stay. a Danielle's artwork unofficial? That's just like really weird versions of your artwork. I don't know. I should probably check that. You should make that. Oh, okay. And then like pretend that it's a rival artist. And then people get yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. That's a good idea. There you go. It's actually a really good idea. <laughs> well, you may have that idea. I end the conversation by asking everyone one question. One last question, which is, what makes you silly? Uh, <laughs> um, what makes me silly? I think, I think my um, I don't give a fuck mentality makes me really silly. Mm. Like, I think my drive to annoy everyone possible <laughs> is what makes me silly. So, Do you have an example of doing that? Just like lots of wet willies and... Sticking right. my finger up people's noses and making them eat their, my booger, their boogers. Mm. And um, just being really like just a menace. I'm just a menace. Especially if I have a spurt of like more energy than what I already should. <laughs> it's just you don't really want to be in my path. Right. So it's basically getting kicks off annoying the shit out of other people. That makes me really silly. Mm. Well, I'll make sure I keep cotton wool in my ears so I don't get in your way. (laughs) And keep your nose clear of any boogers, otherwise you'll be eating them. My nose is always clear. (laughs) Thank you so much, Daniel. No worries. Thank you. Extraordinary women doing amazing things in the creative spheres of Australia. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. And, of course, tremendous gratitude to Danielle Weber from Danielle's Artwork and Naomi Stecklenberg from GiveItMouth.com. Also, Give It Mouth on the Twitter and Facebook. You can find all the episodes of Coming Up Next on iTunes, which is Coming Up Next on iTunes. Hit the subscribe button, give us a review, and we'll keep bringing you the rambles. And by we, I mean me. And by me, I mean Alistair. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, that's me, Alistair Marks. And I'd love to hear what you think of the Underground Creatives. And if you have anyone that you would like to elect as uh, someone who's flying under the radar but doing amazing things, you can find me on Twitter at Podcast and on the Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Get in touch and let's make some chats happen. See you next week. <laughs>